Hello, and welcome to the Neurodivergent Leader Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Heather Lynn Wagner and Donna McLaughlin. We believe that everyone deserves access to opportunities for leadership development and personal growth. That is why we are on a mission to destigmatize difference, identify challenges, improve outcomes, and empower neurodivergent talent with the tools to become the authentic leaders they were meant to be. We want to provide a safe space for the open-minded exploration and celebration of neurodiverse minds. We will spotlight the narratives of neurodivergent leaders, advocates, and experts, and share our own stories about educating, raising, and loving neurodivergent children. We will dive deep to reveal the challenges of being neurodivergent in a neurotypical world and discover the power of shifting from a negative viewpoint that focuses on deficits and brokenness to a more compassionate paradigm that promotes strength, acceptance, and access. We will challenge your concepts about leadership and who or what makes a great leader. We will lean into the discovery of who we are and who we aren't so that we can commit to our truth and become the best version of ourselves we can be. By the end of this venture, you will have the tools and actionable steps to activate your own exciting and individualized leadership plan. Whether you're an aspiring leader, entrepreneur, professional, or parent raising future leaders, we will have something for everyone. Thank you for joining us. Let's dive right in. Welcome to another episode of Neurodivergent Leader. Our guest today is Lisa Kendera, and we're going to jump right in with two of our questions, um, which is how does neurodiversity show up in your life? And can you introduce us outside of telling us what you do? Sure. So my name is Lisa Kandera. I am a single mom of a teen with autism, OCD, anxiety, and (laughs) DMDD, which is a mood regulation disorder. So um, it's, I think, similar to ODD, but not exactly. But anyhow, get the idea. So with a number of um, <clears throat> diagnoses that, you know, put him squarely in the camp of being a neurodiverse individual. And so you know, neurodiversity shows up in my life every day in the way that I have to communicate, not have to, the way I need to communicate information and the way what I communicate seeing how it gets received differently than maybe I would typically expect with my son and then how he processes information and then what he does with that information. It's just, it's such an interesting dynamic now that I've basically gotten more of the 10,000 foot view of it, which is hard when you're a single mom living in a two bedroom apartment because you're on top of each other. But the more I have the 10,000 foot view of it, it's like sort of fascinating to see how he does process information. And I'm like, wait a minute, how, like, I miss it all the time that he's processing it differently because it's like, you understand how to do this. So why is this throwing you off? And I miss it a lot. And so I've gotten better at seeing like, oh, this is, this is what's happening and being able to step back and be a lot more patient and also be willing to reassess how I'm communicating. And I sincerely appreciate that, Lisa, because I also have an adult son who has some diagnoses and have faced similar challenges trying to be in a situation where you're balancing between 
what do I do as a parent to raise my child, right? And give them the skills and the traits that you want them to have in order to be successful people in the world. But going by a neurotypical definition, which was really, really hard for me because I was always, you know, like a rule follower and I was a people pleaser and I had a lot of different traits that were imposed upon me. And I felt that I, a lot of that showed up for me as a parent. And how do how do you think you navigated that when you were raising your son? Well, it's really hard because I come from a similar background of when I went to Catholic school my entire life. And so it was very rule-based, even though the rules didn't make sense. And they were very much not, it was like a, you know, it was its own kind of justice system, right? And so just the typical kids would be like, I have First Amendment of rights. I have the right to say what I want to say. I remember the teacher saying, your parents signed those away when they let you come to the school. And so you have no rights and things like that. Like you have to listen to us. It's because we said so. And I actually think that my son's neurodiversity saves me from the worst version of that. It doesn't work on him. It's bull to him. And so I actually like that. I appreciate that. He has a, like one of his biggest triggers is a sense of justice. If he feels that in his life or even outside of him, because he's very empathetic, that things aren't just, he gets very triggered. And I'm trying to help him deal with that very big emotional reaction that happens because we'll say the principal um, finds that, you know, table three is being disruptive. And so he comes and talks to the whole table when really he knows it was just like the two kids that does not settle for my son at all. He's like, no, like that's, that was not fair. <laughs> yeah. And I actually appreciate that perspective. Like I don't want to be in a situation where I'm saying life's not fair, too bad, good over it. Because look, that's not the greatest either, but I do want to be able to teach a tolerance for it beyond because they said so. And that's interesting because we've talked often, Heather and I, and myself as an educator, I've been an educator for 21 years now. And so in the school system, you know, the way the system's set up, it's compliance versus engagement. So we really have trouble with kids who are non-compliant because society says you have to come in, you have to sit down, you can't move, you can't talk, you have to raise your hand, you have to follow these rules. And for kids that don't fit into that paradigm, it's really, really difficult for them to feel accepted and a sense of belonging and successful. And so Heather and I have often talked about how do you give these kids the coping skills that they need to have that distress tolerance skill? but also encourage them to be the actual authentic human beings that they were meant to be in a society that that really kind of shames them for it. So it's crazy though, because just as you described that, like what the school day is like, why is that normal? Right. What's normal about that, you know, given our background just as human beings, right? Like there's actually nothing normal about that. I in a lot of ways I do feel like these kids are sort of like they're kind of calling us out on all of our bullshit. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> like all of it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it's like, wait a second, you have a system that's designed to give, you know, to provide education to all of us as if we were the same and going to receive it in the same way. Well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> right. right? Be like that's a ridiculous concept, but we've all, you know, bought into it for a variety of reasons. And it's like, and I do like, I feel like I'm like the middle, right? Like I was never, I was always in the middle. 
And so I think that these systems worked for people like me who were in the middle, were big sure. people pleasers. Like it was fine. And I actually excelled in that because I'm like, oh, check mark, check mark, check mark, gotcha. But like, that's just one segment that it really is working for. Well, it would be as if you were asking someone to eat liver and onions every single night for dinner. Like no one would want to do that no matter who they were. And yet we try to do these cookie cutter systems where every single person is supposed to show up in the space in the exact same way and have the exact same responses. And that's just very unrealistic. So I agree with you. Yeah, (laughs) it isn't normal. I agree with you. And, And that kind of brings me to the idea of the letting go of the shoulds and really encouraging our kids to be, again, the nonconformist that they want to be, and then backing them up and advocating for them in a system that doesn't support them. So how do you feel like you've been able to do that for your son? That's really where the work is, right? Right, right. All of our expectations of our kids, but not only our expectations of our kids, I think that the view that we have of how we measure ourselves as parents by how our kids are doing, right? And so it's like, here's the proof that I'm a good parent. My kid does all these things. Like I have clients who are superstars when it comes to what they do for their special needs child. I mean, just the lengths that they have gone to, their creativity, the hard work, the just blood, sweat, and tears. And they will say to me, I'm a good parent. Look at my neurotypical kid and how well she's doing it's almost like that's the proof I'm a good parent not all of this because he's not showing you right it's like it's almost like a trophy kid like see this is the proof I'm a good human being and a good person I'm a good parent and I just think that it has like for us to just do that just to realize that like we are defining ourselves by other people's perception of how our kids are doing, but we really get to define that on our own. Like that's a hard one. I mean, it it is. And I I think it's just something that you have to like really do over time of really appreciating who your child is and everything you're doing for them. And almost like tuning in and tuning out at the same time. I think you have to be purposeful about that these days because it's great that we have the internet and we have all these different support groups, but we also have just so much, you know, sort of noise. I think that we have to be really purposeful about what we decide to filter out as well. Definitely. You know, this whole idea of empathy and acknowledgement, right? And, and really having them have their right to be accepted. That's what radical acceptance, I think, really is, is being comfortable in saying out loud, no matter what environment you're in, I have the right to be accepted here. And so that's why I was kind of pushing down that line of school, because I know for me and for my son, when my son was in school, he was a square peg in a round hole. He just did not fit into that system. And he was constantly fighting against it and challenging it. So when he was about 15, I actually allowed him or just, you know, condoned his quitting school. Like we made a mutual decision and he said, I just don't feel like I fit there, mom. It's not for me. And I said, great. I'm totally supportive of that. And of course my family went crazy. You know, everybody thought I was not doing a good job as a parent because they were like, what are you going to do? What's he going to do? You know, what are you going to do with him? And I'm like, he'll figure it out. This isn't about intelligence. This isn't about emotional maturity. This isn't about anything. This is about that system isn't working for him. So he did wind up going off and getting a GED and everything turned out, you know, exactly the way he planned it to do. But as a parent, 
I think that was probably one of the hardest times of my life in parenting was going against even my closest family members and a system I had grown up being a rule follower in to break the rules. So So I guess my question to you then is you were looking at this system as something that was not supporting him and you didn't want him to, you know, you wanted to support him and not have him feel broken and things like that. Were you able to do that for yourself as you were getting the backlash from your family? Absolutely not. There were very (laughs) limited, yeah, there were very limited support systems available for me. I mean, I did go to therapy and I did have some family members that I could reach out to and actually, you know, kind of vent and some friends. Um, But ultimately there was really nobody who could understand what I was going through because they weren't raising a neurodivergent child. They weren't experiencing the same things that I was. And I, at that time, I don't think, I think there was a lot of shame for me around reaching out to a, a group for mothers who had kids like that. And I wasn't even sure if it existed. I think it was just ignorance on top of fear, on top of just trying to survive, like keep my head above water in the moment. And I think we tend to isolate too sometimes as parents, because we're like, you know what, if I just stay in my little box and nobody knows what I'm doing, but I can handle it and I can keep it all together. And, you know, and that's kind of what I did. And it was, it was not the easiest time for sure. But, um, you know, that's, I think what part, part of what impassioned me to do this now with Heather is I really want to create systems and opportunities and safe spaces and communities for people who are going through this because it was the toughest thing in the world to survive alone. And when you know you're not alone and there are other people going through it, it just makes it all more bearable. Well, and the thing, you know, when I, my son initially got a diagnosis, the neuropsychologist sat down and like was basically gave me this projection of what his life was going to look like and basically never going to have normal relationships it's never going to be okay so just accept it now and I was like you don't know me lady my kid's literally two years old you have no idea what his future is going to be like whereas my husband actually accepted that information and kind of like broke down and we had two very different responses but as a result I pushed all of the resources away from me because I was like, I'm not accepting that version of what you're predicting. Like the medical profession is predicting my child's life is going to be. And it was a little bit at the cost of me being fully supported or even like opening my mind and my eyes, even the neurodiversity movement or this whole other conversation of social disability versus medical disability. So it took me a longer time And I think part of me was just like, it was my control reaction and my need to feel safe reaction. So acceptance for me took years. And what I had to come to accept was that there was actually nothing wrong with my child. It was the systems and what I was told it was supposed to look like that I had to accept was wrong for us and step into what we decided was best for us and our child. Well, and I love that you brought up how did how did we feel as the parent, because I do think that it's not just us thinking that our kids are broken. It's us thinking that we're broken as a parent. I did something wrong. I should have done this. You know, all those would have, could have, should have, that fear, that shame, that guilt around being in that circumstance. How did you manage that, Lisa? I don't know that I did, honestly, at first. And so what I did is I was, um, like Heather described, I went into like action mode, right? And so it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, well, just get me back up. I um, 
I grew up with a sister. My, my sister is um, neurodiverse. And, you know, if she was diagnosed today, it would have been autism, but it wasn't back then. But I had, I, I was like, I got this. Like I saw my parents, I saw what my parents did with having, you know, in a different time with a lot less resources, like I am going to research my way, not out of autism, but just to the best stuff. Like I'm going to do all of the things. And so I was just very much in action mode. I I think that's the, that's the control piece in how I was sort of processing it. I don't know that I ever really did. And then what happened is there was a stretch of time where, you know, people would knew Ben was autistic, but they would see him and they'd be like, oh, like I hardly even know it. And and, and that kind of thing. And I was like, okay. Like, and I, and he was very typical in a lot of seemingly typical in a lot of ways. And so when he, when, when these most recent things happened with his severe uptick in anxiety and hospitalization, it really brought me to the fact that I never really accepted this. Mm-hmm. Never really, truly did I really understand this and accept this. And it's such an interesting thing because you'll hear a lot of parents with high functioning kids tell or, or say like, you know, meet me people and they'll say, well, he doesn't look autistic and he doesn't seem autistic. I had the experience last week where two different people, now granted they were parents of special needs kids who've never met me before, say something like, oh, is he autistic or they knew right away. I was, was, it was weird. It was like the other side of it. I was taken back. I said, how did you know? The man was like, well, he was sitting next to us in a restaurant. Just the way he speaks, he's like, and he's very direct. He's like, most people just aren't that direct. I'm like, you're, yep. (laughs) Spot on, dude. Spot on. Exactly. But it was an interesting thing because I was like, yeah, there is part of me where like when people, you know, you could get like very back against the wall. What does autism look like? And well, you know, and then for someone to say, oh, is he? Because he seems like it. You're kind of like, oh. Well, and it's so interesting that you bring that up because that was something that used to bother me a few years ago because I really felt like sometimes I had to defend to my own family members that my son had a problem. And because they didn't understand it or they weren't in it or they maybe even didn't want to accept it themselves, there were many times where I would have these heated conversations where, you know, he would do something or say something or act a certain way and they would respond or be triggered by it. And they would say, well, what, you know, what did I do? And I'm like, no, it's that it's a function of his condition. It doesn't have anything to do with you. Don't take it personal. And this is what, and then, right. Or it does, right. Or it does. And he can't handle your, you know, your loudness or your overstimulation or whatever. You're absolutely right. And what wound up happening a lot of times is, is I wound up for a long time, I would give in almost. And I would be like, you know what? I can't, I just don't have the bandwidth. I can't explain this to you or convince you that this is what's happening. And it became exhausting. And sometimes it was really discouraging as a parent because it was like, I needed so badly for somebody to say, I didn't want sympathy. I just wanted the acknowledgement and the validation of, wow, okay. You know, like how can I show up in a different way to make things easier for both you and him so that I'm not showing up in this space with neurotypical demands and then expecting you to meet them and him to meet them. And when you don't, then I'm taking it personal, getting triggered and, you know, like lashing out at both of you or even being passive aggressive in a way and kind of internalizing that. And then later on, it comes out in a different way. So I don't know if you ever experienced that, but that really bothered me for a long time. I think that the best thing that we 
we can do in those situations because we and we can't make other people do or say or, you know think do other things but we can control the way we're thinking and feeling about it and like the and so I think for me it's a couple of things it's like being the example of what it looks like to truly accept what's happening right now the way they see me handle it their people handle it they're pretty much like oh my god like you're sort of seamless with that like I was in the ER with the doctors they were trying to tell him something and I was like I just put my hand up and then I did it and he, the guy was like, oh my God, (laughs) (laughs) like be the example of what it looks like, right? Maybe they don't get it. That's fine. You get it. Validate yourself because you know what? External validation is great when you can get it, but like if we're waiting around for it, like we might be waiting a long time. So you got to validate yourself. So something I'm trying to navigate and I don't know if, It's acceptance, exploration, but there's a conversation about how specifically autism moms, and I'm air quoting for the podcast listeners, um, but how autism moms center themselves in the experience. And I don't know if you guys have heard that, but it's a conversation I'm present to. And I see a lot of parents in, you know, the online support groups and stuff that are you know, making it through that initial stage of understanding that their child is different. And there's a grief process because we are often attached to a vision of what we're sold about how it's supposed to go. And so how do you balance your experience as a mother and what you need against, you know, truly accepting who your child is and that it's more about them And, you know, not being a victim to them. And I think I'm just really trying to explore that in myself. So what do you think? Well, I think that in some ways it is more about you. Your acceptance is more about you, right? In the terms of like, I think we ignore ourselves, you know, in this a lot. And I've been in those groups. And so I know that people, they're going through a lot. They're just sort of trying to like figure it out. And I think that that's like a perfectly normal stage of it. I think that we are at the center of it. We are at the center of our experience of parenting a child with special needs in a world that's not made for them and doesn't have supports for us. So like, yeah, we are at the center of that. And look, I'm sure there are examples that you could bring up that I'd be like, oh my God, I would never do that. Or I don't think that's the best idea. But at the heart of it, I think that we're not better off for shutting up. <laughs> we're just right. not. And, you know, if there are these online forums where we can just sort of throw up the ugly that's happening, that's benefiting people. Like I see so many of those where the people will say their thing and they'll get like hundreds of comments back and you'll never see the person comment back again, because I'm thinking that in my mind, they just needed to throw that up in the moment and then they might have just walked away from it. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. You just needed to emotionally vomit in the moment because, you know, you have nowhere else to dump that in a, in a safe space. So I agree with you. I think people, you know, people really want to have opportunities to to talk about their experience and tell their story. And it's interesting because what we just said about like, you was going to vomit it out, you get it out and you move on. Kind of like the tantrum our kid probably just right. had too, right? right. You know, and right. like yeah. I, that's one of the most fascinating things I think I've seen in terms of this experience is how much my son and I mirror one another. Oh, like yeah. for instance, like this morning he started before he had to go with 
an uptick in his perseverations and his anxiety. And my mind went to very black and white thinking, right? Very sure. rigid thinking. Like, oh my God, it's going to be either a great day or a horrible day. <laughs> like, right. And it's like, wait a second. Like that kind of thing. I started perseverating over his perseverations, right? Sure. Like, and so it's like, you get to see all of these ways that you really do. You, we do the same things that our kids are doing, right? I mean, I am only speaking to this as like, I was the first time mother and this was just all new to me to begin with. So it's like, you're still like growing into this new version of yourself. And then you have this other piece of information. It's a lot to deal with. And so the fact that we don't deal with all of it at the it's probably the right way because we probably wouldn't make, we get out of bed. It depends on where you are, but like there's no right or wrong way. But I just, I, and I, I go into this and then my coaching is like, I, when I really think about some of the things that we feel guilt and shame for, I think that we've bought into this glorification of motherhood as like, because you gave birth to a human being, you have like, you were like whimsically endowed with this clairvoyance. Yes. Like, no things are wrong. And then have the ability to fix it. Like, no, <laughs> that's just well, false. <laughs> and as, as a co-Catholic person that grew up, you know, went, went to Catholic school, that's the Virgin Mary syndrome, right? It's like, okay, you know, you're going to create this perfect human because you're the Virgin Mary and you birthed this child. And now it's totally your responsibility to make them be the most perfect, you know, uh, thing on the planet. And it just is she, not in existence, right? She let them hang out with hookers. I mean, she, did. she did. She did. She did. Well, and you brought something up I would like to talk about because, you know, you kind of specialize in this. Um, so if I understand it, you you were just saying that your son, his anxiety and perseveration started to show up this morning, which kind of activated your nervous system. And so you started perseverating. And so Donna and I started a conversation last week that we're kind of threading through the next few guests, which is understanding the the biology of our children's behavior and what co-regulation and down-regulation is. And so I believe you teach parents how to handle their children when they're having meltdowns or their sensory needs show up. So I'd love to hear your perspective on how we as moms and dads can manage that. Sure. So what I actually teach is how we manage ourselves during these time periods. And so, um, so just to give back up when my son was really cute last year and things were very heightened in our household, you know, my question to my, you know, to therapist, to my coaches was like, what do I do? What do I do? How do I do this? And so <laughs> backing up, you know, 10,000 feet now that I'm not in it, it's in the system that I designed is like, it, it doesn't happen in the moment. Like you're not going to figure it out in the moment. Just think of like your kid, your child, typical or not, definitely for neurotypical kids, where you're going to take them out for an event. You preview it to them. You have the schedule, you have all the stuff that you need, right? Like the the snacks, whatever, all this preparation that you do to ready them for now, this is what's going to happen. And here's how it's going to go. We actually need to do that for ourselves, emotionally, mentally, and physically. And so like for my son this morning, I knew like last night, what was going on with him. I knew the anxiety was coming. I hired a sitter to literally sit in my living room for two hours with him, while I was just in my room, kind of relaxing, doing my own thing. Like 
right? Because I know I have the weekend now with him. And so sure. it's like, you know what I mean? So th- those like before things, reminding myself of like, okay, like, you know, just sort of like how this usually goes, how this sometimes goes, and how I can handle it. So it's like that before of like um, accepting, like this might happen. It's okay. Not resisting it, like not fighting against it, but also preparing myself like, okay, how am I going to be, how do I want to think and feel when he does the thing? So like, no, and this morning I was just kind of like, all right, we got this. Like I have like different, like, you know, sort of checkpoints in our day where I can, you know, check in with him to be like, do I need to like end it? Maybe we're not going, I don't know if we're going apple picking today. That's the plan, but we're going to see. And I've gotten past that. Like we have plans. It has to be like this. And so that's sure. that preparing myself in the moment I walked out. And so one point, cause he was fine, but I walked out. I just like walked around the block, like just to, because what I used to do before is try to fix it in the moment. Sure. We're perseverating over, let's solve the problem. I've walked away from that because the problem isn't what he's perseverating over. It's the fact that his brain is looping. And so you right. solve problem A, it goes to problem B. And so what I've learned too is to not get into the weeds, to stay like a little bit higher above it, watch what's happening and be able to like be able to redirect him, but also redirect myself. So when sure. I go into the, I don't know if this, I don't know if that, it's like, it's okay. We don't know, but it's okay. Like just trying to like bring myself back. And you know, a lot of that is like pausing, breathing, slowing it down because as sure. you slow down what's happening internally, you're telling your body that you're, you're safe, right? Like don't, you don't have to like, you know, send in the troops, so to speak, right? You don't have to up the adrenaline and the cortisol. We're not about to fight the tiger. Like we're good. And so as you're able to stay in that state, you have more access to like your most rational, you know, highest level of thinking as opposed to like that panic response, like thinking that, you know, just has us like, you know, just acting in ways that maybe we would prefer not to. And I love the fact that you're mentioning the regulation of yourself first, because I think you're number one, you're absolutely right that we don't give ourselves permission as parents or even as women a lot of times, because we have a nurturing role in our lives where we're taking care of much more things than many other people are taken care of most of the time. And so we don't give ourselves permission to take a pause. We don't, we aren't present most of the time, because we're trying to plan 17 steps ahead, 14 hours later, next week, next month, you know, like, how am I going to get the carpool organized? What am I going to do about lunches? What do I need to get at the grocery store? I mean, when you think about all the, the brain power that we're using on a daily basis and the mental load that we're under, it's no wonder that when we get into an emotionally dysregulated, situa- dysregulated situation with our child, that we immediately become dysregulated because we've been stuffing down that that oh, right. dysregulation that, yeah. for hours. And that's right? another part of this. So, so my system, it's before, during, and after. And the after sure. is the um, is the completion of the stress response cycle because what you just mentioned, it's like if we're not like sort of like closing the loop there, yes. it's just building up inside of us. So when the next little thing happens, boom, we're trigger happy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because we've never, we've never resolved it. And I you know a big part of what I teach in the middle category of, um, you know, of the during is when you're taking, you're staying present 
you're staying present in the moment with what's happening right now. And you're staying out of what I call the doomsday time machine, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> if he, if he goes to basketball practice and he has an outburst there and the kids see it, they're not going to want him back. And his friend's not going to want him to go to the apple picking. And then he's not going to have no friends and <laughs> like, you know, blah, blah, get, get, blah, right. blah, blah, like that can happen pretty quickly in our own brains. And just being like, yep, that's just, of course, that's where your brain's going to go. Like, it's okay acknowledging it, but then like redirecting it almost like you would, you know, like a toddler in Target who wants to go down, like, you know, I want to go down that aisle. Nope, we're not going down that aisle. Sure. Right. Redirect. (laughs) Redirect. Right. Right. Well, that catastrophic thinking is really easy to get into too. When you're, when you're thinking in your survival brain, it's very simple that you get out of control very quickly and it goes right to negativity. And then you are projecting, you know, oh my God, this is never going to end. Are you ever going to be able to go to the grocery store with me and not throw a tantrum? You know, like you completely go into panic mode. So I agree with you. It's definitely something you need to practice. For yeah, sure. no, definitely. And that's when I, when I teach about readying your response and the before, like w- what I'll say to parents, like it hardly matters what you do. Right. It doesn't matter. It's right. the how, right? right? It's just the how, how you're showing right. up. Like it's, it's everything. Circles and, I, of- and I say, especially for our kids, like my son is a tuning fork for my emotions. Yes. I am. He, he, he just knows. And I, I say this to some people, I'm like, look, I actually have the inside scoop on autism and here's why my son is high functioning and he is like verbal about everything. He'll call, you know, like the other day he was yesterday, he was like yelling about something for a while and then it was over. And he says to me, he's like, I got to tell you, I was just doing that to get attention. I mean, I didn't have to do all that. I was really just doing it to get attention. And Which you gotta me. love it. I know, he'll tell me. Yeah, he'll tell me. I, I was just, doing. and then I'll say, he, you know, he said to me, he's like, you know what really gets on my nerves about you? What? <laughs> you are really neutral. I don't really like the neutral. I was like, you would rather me yell back? He's like, yeah, because at least I would know that you understood that I was upset. Yeah. So he's, <laughs> yeah. So he's interpreting that as, as involvement and passion. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, exactly. He's like, when you're neutral, it's like, oh, you don't care enough. I got to keep going. Yeah. That's what I do with my husband. You literally just described how I fight with my husband. I'm yeah. like, you don't have anything to say. I don't know where we stand. <laughs> right, exactly. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Well, and back to what you were saying, Lisa, it's like goes back to radical acceptance of the moment and being present and like, okay, this is where we are. This is what's going on and letting go of our judgments and our fears about the future so that we can be present. And sounds like you have a great, sounds like you have a great system for helping us do that. Yeah. I I think it's like, I I mean, I'm not sure who's you know, originally said this, but like I, I read, for instance, Tara Brock and Radical Acceptance, and I know she uses this, but I'm sure she got it from someone else, but maybe she didn't. And when, when she says, right now, it's like this. Yes. Right now, yes. it's like this. And I, I'll say that right now, it's like this. You know, yes. it's, um, this is a moment. And um, it's so interesting, though, like what's happened in my life in the past year and a half, it really brought me back to when my son was diagnosed in that time where you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You don't know what to do. You're doing a little bit of everything. You're not sure what's going to work. You're hoping something will work, but you don't really know in the moment. And I feel like we've been brought back to that period. And um, it's, it's in, the great the thing about it is, and I would say this to any parent who's like, especially in the beginning or wherever we are, but especially in the beginning is like, 
I know that I've already gone through that. I already know what that feels like. And I know I've come out the other side and it's got given me a lot of confidence over the past year of like, oh, wait a second. I've been here before when it was super scary and people were saying all of these things that were terrible and, you know, and I still got through it. My son is still thriving. Like, I love the fact that you're, cause this is, that's going to segue us because we're almost out of time. What are the takeaways that you would leave with parents after this discussion today? Um, so I guess what I would say is what I really do believe here is that we, you have more power than you think. I think that when we get these diagnoses and we're in these situations and we feel very helpless, we feel even in our day to day, like I would, you know, people would say like, you know, how do you feel? And I'd be like, I don't know, like, let me know, I'll let you know when Ben gets home almost, right? Like, it's almost like, you know, giving over complete control of your life to like these circumstances and like that you really can take that control back for yourself. And, um, and in your child's life, you like, we are their greatest resource. Like there's no medicine, there's no therapy, there's no doctor that's like more important than, than we are. And so us taking care of ourselves, it's like not a nice to have, it's a, it's a must have. It it really is. And so, um, and I just think that like, there's this really great poem that I read that, you know, talks about like taking all of the things in your child that you find challenging and looking at them as like ways like that are amazing, that are ways for you to learn more, for you to be more, you know, like if you have a child who's rigid, maybe that teaches you how to be more flexible, right? If you have a child who hates hearing the word no, maybe you can say yes more. Like what are the ways that you can, you know, take what you have and make it beautiful? I love that. That's really great. And that's definitely something that we, you know, in our mission and our company and our vision and values, we align with as on the whole is that positive and strength space model, not deficit spaced or something's broken or fixed. So I love the fact that you wrapped up like this. Um, the last thing that I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity to do a shameless plug for your business. I, I believe that you have um, your coaching company is called Be the Solid Object. Am I correct? It is. Um, Yeah. So the the solid object, um, it's a, it's a, it's a tool that I teach in my coaching program. It's all about being present, prepared and compassionate, you know, you know, in these times of, you know, meltdowns. Um, So I teach you how to keep your cool while, while your child is melting down in my coaching program. And I will be having a podcast that's launching on November 1st, where I will teach all about how to be the solid object. Fantastic. That's awesome. So thank you so much for being here today. We really enjoyed all of your insight and perspectives and we wish you the very best on your podcast and with your business. Um, And thank you for coming. Thank you. It's very nice to meet both of you and the cute little baby in the background. (laughs) Thank you so much, Lisa. Appreciate your time. All right. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. To register for an upcoming leadership workshop or to learn more about our one-to-one coaching and development programs, you can visit us at www.neurodivergentleader.com or follow us on Instagram at neurodivergentleader and check for the links in the bio. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.